the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. God had kept his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The descendants of Israel had seen God's mighty hand take them out of their enslavement to Egypt. He provided for their every need in the desert wilderness for 40 years, even after Israel had sinned against God. Moses received God's moral code and the civil and ceremonial laws that the children of Israel were to abide by, even when they had conquered the Promised Land. Moses was a great leader, but he died. And now, it is time for a new leader to rise up and lead the people into God's promises. We join Pastor Will as he introduces the book of Joshua. The name of the book is derived from the man commissioned to lead the people after Moses' death, Joshua. And so as such, it is indeed a historical account of Israel's conquering of the Promised Land. But this is so much more than just a simple military history account. It's Joshua's personal account of those events, the lessons he learned and the lessons he wishes to pass on to the people of Israel after he's gone. In Joshua 24, 26, it makes it very clear that these words were written by his hand. It says in 24, 26, Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us. Uh, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. Joshua claims that he wrote these things. He passed them on to the people of Israel, which means if we want to understand this book, we need a bit of, of a refresher on who Joshua is. According to the historian Josephus, he states that Joshua had been a slave in Egypt for 40 years when Moses came onto the scene. So he had been going through a lot of the sufferings that much of the people in Israel had gone through. He, of course, later became Moses' assistant and the general of Israel's armies. Now, when Moses misrepresented God by striking the rock, God chose Joshua to be the military, civil, and social leader of the nation after Moses would die. And in that role as Moses' assistant and the general and preparing to be the leader after Moses was gone, he pretty much had seen it all. He alone was up on Mount Sinai with Moses when Moses received the law. He didn't get to go into the glory of God with Moses, but he was close by on the mountain. He alone would go into the tent of meeting where God spoke with Moses face to face. He was one of only two faithful spies who came back to report on the promised land. Moses' death, Joshua at that point is now 80 years old, and he's one of only two remaining people who lived in Egypt during their slavery. Only two. He watched every peer, every member of his generation besides Caleb die in the wilderness because of their disobedience and unbelief. 
That's the point where we are where this book starts. Joshua actually writes the book 40 years later when he's 120 years old because having experienced this marvelous victory that God promised, he never wants to see the desert failure happen to his people again. After seeing what can happen when a people will trust God and will follow God to the very end, he never wants to see that desert failure happen to his people again. Rather than chronicle a dull history of military battles and land distribution, this becomes Joshua's final exhortation to the nation before he dies. It's not for the people who've already won. I mean, they've already done all the things that are in here. It's written for those who will come after him so that they'll press forward to complete the work that God gives to them. Because of that, that makes Joshua a very important book for the nation of Israel, but it also makes it a very important book for us. When Joshua gave this book to the nation in 24-26, Israel, they still have enemies to defeat. They still have work to do. Joshua, therefore, becomes the first book in the second section of the Old Testament known by the Jewish people as the prophets. We had the law, which is the first five books that we thankfully in the course of four and a half years finished. And now we start the prophets as they are known. But Jesus called, he called it the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so that's kind of how most Jews, they either divided just law and prophets or the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. But those are the three divisions that they saw in the Old Testament. And so we tend to call it the first of the historical books because for whatever reason, we separate the prophets from the historical books. So the prophet starts with Isaiah after the end of Song of Solomon, I believe. And then it goes all the way to the end of Malachi. So we call it historical. They would call it the prophets. Why do we call it historical then? Well, because this begins the long history of Israel's successes and failures in listening to Joshua's urging to stay close to the Lord. This book sets the stage. This is what Israel is supposed to do from this time forward. And so this begins the long history of when they do that right and when they fail to do that right. When they trust the Lord and they draw close to him, they're all in and how God blesses them or when they don't trust the Lord and God has to discipline them. While this book shows God's faithfulness to his promises to Abraham and Israel by leading them to victory over the Canaanites and settling each tribe into their allotted territory, it's also going to show us Israel's failures in that endeavor due to their disobedience. We're going to have the great success of Jericho, and then it's going to be followed by what? The failure at Ai, because... Achan stole the part of the treasure, the spoils, in Jericho after he was dealt with and he was truly Achan. Then they had more successes. And then they had the failure with the Gibeonites. They had these successes and failures, and it's going to point these things out to us so that those that come after will learn. See, by sharing these, both the successes and the failures, it serves as both a great encouragement to the nation to obey God in the future and also a warning of the dangers of disobeying God. So in this, Joshua is a great start to this new section of the Old Testament because it provides the blueprint for a victorious life in following the Lord. This is the blueprint. If you want to follow God, want to experience his blessing, follow this blueprint, right? Don't do the failures, do the successes, and you'll be fine moving forward, which brings it back to us. So how does that work for us? Well, in John 10, 10, you know, the, the passage is a famous one. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? But I am come that you might have life, and then he explains, and that more abundantly. Life on a different level. Life different than everyone else experiences. Abundant life. I want to read you something Alan Redpath said. He said this, the foundations of our faith, regeneration, justification, they are deeply laid in order that they may carry the superstructure of sanctification and holiness. We were redeemed that we might be his purchased possession. 
justified that we might be sanctified and glorified. We were brought out of Egypt so that we might be brought into the promised land. Yet, is it not true that the majority of Christians come far short and are content with a wilderness experience? Justified, but not enjoying the possession of all their inheritance in Christ. I have found that to be very true. I find that there are many believers who are content with the wilderness, with the desert, and they miss out on all that God has for us. Well, the book of Joshua is the Old Testament solution to that problem. It's a revelation of what God can do in and through the life that is utterly yielded to him. And as such, it becomes the parallel to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Every Old Testament book has a correlation in the New Testament. In the New Testament book of Ephesians, Paul states, you are God's people. You've been given such amazing blessings. Now live appropriately. Walk worthy of your name. Walk in light. Walk in victory. Because for those who are faithful to do so, we don't have a promise of land in the Middle East, but we do have a promise of ruling and reigning with Christ in his kingdom. You know, it's interesting in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, when discussing this concept of salvation by grace through faith alone, Paul, he references this idea of this promise that we have of a future ruling and reigning with Christ. He says, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, then faith is made void, and the promise is made of no effect, because the law produces wrath. For where no law is, there's no transgression. Therefore, the promise, it is of faith, that it might be by grace. And here it is. To the end, that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The promise that he should be the heir to the world, that's our promise too. It's not through the law. We don't have the promise of the Middle East land of Israel, that strip of land that God promised to Abraham's physical descendants. But we have the promise that we are heirs to the world, that we will rule and reign with Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stated very clearly, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's what the Bible says. That's why the book of Hebrews compares a victorious Christian life to the promised land when it urges us not to miss out on God's promises through unbelief. In Hebrews chapter four, verse one, talking about that generation that died in the wilderness, it says to us, it says, let us therefore reverence God. Let us therefore have a healthy respect for God. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith when they heard it. So down in verse 11, he says, let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Redpath went on to say, God does not pour out of his fullness on a plate, as it were, and invite us to help ourselves at a low level of expectancy. He desires every one of his children to press in against all the assaults of the enemy that we may lay hold of that which is our inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that every foe we shall ever meet in that battle has already been meant and conquered by our Joshua, by Jesus. That's heavy, isn't it? 
When we think about our Christian life, how, how much do we not press in at times because, well, we just had repeated failures, or there's walled cities, oh, there's giants, oh, we're outnumbered. In your own life, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what your walled city is. I don't know what the giant that needs to go down is. I don't know where you feel outnumbered. But I know this, that Christ, he has already met every one of those foes and conquered them. And if we will walk with him and trust him, we will experience that victory in our life. So which of those two examples describes your life? Are you in the wilderness of defeat or are you in the land of victory? Is your life a constant defeat against the powers of darkness or is it a victorious war waged in the power of the risen Lord? Joshua gives us the blueprint to victory. That's the theme of this book. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, right? He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. You know, we we talk about, so I'm saved. Yeah, we are saved, but we're being saved (laughs) every day. I'm being rescued from myself every day. I'm being rescued from the powers of darkness every day. He's my Savior forever, and he's already won. Now, how does Joshua lay out the blueprint for victory? Well, the book of Joshua has three sections. It's really simple. In the first 12 chapters, we're going to see the Israel conquer the land. It's three campaigns. They start off in the central part of Israel. They go from Jericho to Ai to Bethel to all these places in the middle. Then they go and they face a confederation of kings in the south, defeat them. And then they go up and face a confederation of kings in the north and defeat them. So the first 12 chapters, it's much about the conquering of these Canaanite nations. Then in verses 13 through 22, we get to the distribution of the land amongst the tribes. It can feel a little dry at times, but again, there's lessons being learned throughout that, and that's why Joshua includes it. And then in the last two chapters, 23 and 24, Joshua will exhort the nation to walk with the Lord. Some famous verses from Joshua that we will study. Joshua, that's where he tells him, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Those, both those parts of verses, they are in the book of Joshua and they come right at the end as he lays out the blueprint for him and he goes, now, now I'm going away. This generation is dying. You who remain, there are enemies still to defeat. There are battles to be won. Go and be faithful in victory in the Lord. All right, let's look at chapter one. Joshua chapter one, the first steps to victory. I'm going to read the first four verses because that's all we're going to get to tonight. It says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. And every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. Here we notice here uh, at the very beginning Joshua's situation. It says, after Moses died... It says, it came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun. The first thing God says is, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's pointing out the obvious. (laughs) But you know, the reason the Lord does that is because he's reminding Joshua who he is. Joshua, you're not an aide anymore. You have been Moses' servant, but you're not his servant anymore. The days of leaving the hard decisions to Moses are done. You're the leader, and now it's time to take the land. 
Everything that we know about Joshua tells us that he's a godly, courageous man. I mean, he had led the people into battle. He'd been one of the 12 spies. He'd been more faithful to Moses than Moses' family members had been to him. And yet, God seldom tells people, fear not or be strong unless they are feeling afraid and weak. You know, when we see the Lord show up and he goes, fear not, that's because everybody's scared. That's because everybody's terrified. When he says, be strong, it's because the Lord's telling me to do something. I go, I can't do this. And so even though Joshua was a bold, courageous man, a godly man, he must be sensing some inadequacies and some fears. Could you imagine being Joshua? If things had been rough or scary in the past, he knew always Moses would have his back, right? I mean, if things got rough, he knew he could always go to Moses. But that was gone now. The buck stopped with him. It's very fitting that our book starts with God preparing Joshua to succeed in this amazing venture. Because the first key to success is stepping out in faith to obey God's clear commands. And what's God's clear commands? Now, therefore, arise. Get up. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Most Christians remain in the wilderness because they never obey this simple command. Get up. Get moving in the right direction. Get up. Arise. So often we remain in a defeated spiritual life because we fear failure or we refuse to capture the lying thoughts of the enemy or we cling to our selfish desires of what will make us happy. Like Demas, we love this present world, and so we never get up and get into the battle. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. What did Demas do? Well, the idea was, is here's Paul, he's in prison. He says, nobody's with me but Luke. The idea of being with Paul meant you might lose your head too. He knew that he was not getting out of jail this time. He knew he was going to his execution. He told Timothy, he said, for I am ready to be offered. He says, it's the end is coming. I fought the good fight. I finished my race. So he says, Timothy, bring the parchments, bring Mark. I need his encouragement. These are my final days. And then he says, you know, because no one's here except for Luke. And he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. That didn't mean that Demas like left Christ. The idea was is that Demas was going, I'm not ready to leave this world. I like this world. I like, I like life. I like, I like doing life. It wasn't that he lost his faith, but he was content with the desert. He didn't want to go into the promised land. Or like the seed by the thorny ground, we are choked out with anxieties or riches or the pleasures of this life. And as Luke 8, 14 says, we bring no fruit to maturity. We don't experience maturity. See, if this describes your life, that you really like this world, or you're choked with anxieties, or a desire for riches, or the pleasures of this life, and you're not maturing in your faith, if that describes your life, the first step to victory is doing something different. Get up and into the battle. Get up. Will you get knocked down if you get up? Probably. But here's the beautiful thing. As you get up each time you fall, you'll soon realize that you're taking the ground that God promises. You'll realize that as you're putting your feet down, you're you're taking the ground that God promises. There are many things in our Christian life that they don't occur right away. I mean, like for some of us, we figure, I'm gonna march around this thing for seven days and then walls are coming down, right? But then there are other days where, where, where the enemy's lodged up in the hills and they got iron chariots and it takes a while to drive them out. We have to be persistent. We have to be faithful. We have to trust the Lord. We have to remain obedient. 
over time. But as you keep getting up, you're taking ground. You realize you're taking ground. I have a bracelet that says Steps of Faith. And it was from a conference that really ministered to me because I was ready to quit the ministry. I was done. I felt like I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't have what it took and wasn't being successful. And I was just wiped out emotionally, spiritually, physically. And so I went to a conference, title was Steps of Faith. And I was just told the Lord, I said, you know, I'm done. And that first night of the conference, the Lord said to me, he said, well, he said, can you give me one more day? Just one more day. Can you give me, take one more step for me? I thought, well, I like good teaching. I can, I can handle another day. It's not too dangerous here. At the end of that day, the Lord said, how about one more day? How about one more step? And you know, I wore that. It was a little rubber bracelet so I could know what lunch I had. You know, and I wore that thing for a year. Didn't take it off because I kept reminding myself, just take the step in front of you right now. Don't worry about the giants up on the hill. Don't look at the big walls. Just take the next step toward the city. And every day, that was, I'd look down at that and take that reminder. He just asked me for today. I'll give him today. Tomorrow, if you, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that when we get there. Just trusting him for right now, the next step. And what you realize over time is that you've conquered a few cities. You've been victorious as you've taken each step to walk with the Lord. Now, why do we need to take this first step? Well, he says, verse three, because every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. And then he tells him, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea, the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun, that shall be your coast. That will be your territory. Look at these borders. That is a massive amount of land. It's an amount of land, in fact, that uh, Israel never experienced. Because of Israel's disobedience and unbelief, they never experienced these full boundaries. They never even got halfway to the Euphrates. I was looking at my Bible maps as I was studying this, and I thought, man, that's way farther out than I thought it was. There was such a big chunk of land that they never trusted God for. By the end of Joshua, Every tribe had different groups that were still remaining, pockets of resistance because they fled to the hills or really fortified cities, whatever it might be. And the Lord told me, he says, listen, he goes, I have left them there for two reasons. Number one, I didn't want to drive them all out at once lest you couldn't actually take over the land properly and the wild beast would start consuming things. He said, but secondly, to test you, to see if you would remain obedient to me over time. And you know what? It's crazy because almost to a T. Each of those tribes looked around and said, well, you know, got it pretty good. I mean, if we go up there and we fight them, I mean, they got iron chariots and they're in the hills and man, some people are going to die. So let's just hold the ground we have and don't worry about them. The whole tribe of Dan, they, they got land right next to the Philistines and they were the fiercest of the remaining enemies that were there. And they basically said, we don't like the land you've given to us, God. And they migrated. The Philistines are down there in, in Gaza. You know where that's at now. It's in the south. They migrated all the way up north by Mount Hebron. They said, we don't want as far away from those guys as possible. The land God gave to us wasn't good. We found our own better land up here. So many of them due to disobedience and unbelief, never experienced the full victory that God promised them. That was God's promise to Israel. But God has given us promises too. See, even though Jesus finished the work for all that God wants for us, he finished it on the cross. You and I have to enter into it by faith, 
just like we entered into our salvation by faith, which means there is a real danger of missing out on all that God promises to you and me. God wants each of us to walk into the fullness of the promises He has given us. The first step is always to get up and obey the clear commands that are laid out before us. God longs to bless us when we step out in faith according to His leading and direction. But it will take courage and being convinced that God is who He says He is. For only then will there be a willingness to obey. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.